The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad you're here today. I don't know what, which is uh, more fun, um, the beginning of a trip or the end, right? Uh, I like the beginning of the anticipation of all um, that you've sort of planned for and what it's going to be like and you're excited about it. A few years ago, um, I went on sabbatical, and so was off for an extended period of time, and we went, uh, Abby and I took a trip and went to Yellowstone and did a, we packed in, and so she was with me for about four days of the trip, and then she, I brought her out, and and she went, uh, she came home, and then I went in for another seven-day trip on horseback. And so packed way deep into Yellowstone. I got to see parts of Yellowstone um, that a lot of people never do get to see. And it was amazing. It was a, like, I love horses. So you get me around a horse and I'm, I'm in uh, tall cotton right then, right? So that week, that week and a half, whatever it was, I, I rode 90 miles on a horse, I think. 96 miles in total. And it was absolutely, it was awesome. These horses were amazing. And so I was so excited to go on the trip and just to be able to be around horses. Before I moved up here, I had horses, and so I sold them. And so it had been a long time since I'd been around horses and just needed, man, like horses are very therapeutic. Don't you think so, Brian? Well, you should get one and keep it at your house, and I'll come over and hang with you. Yeah. <laughs> Brian's going to quit sitting on the front row because I'm always referred to him, right? Uh, and so anyway, uh, I, love, I love horses, and, and it was just a great time. Um, but then, you know, I was, I was all the way out there in Yellowstone by myself, and man, I've been away from uh, now from Abby and the kids for, for a while, and I wanted to come home, man. I was excited about getting home. I don't like to be away from my family very long. And so I left West Yellowstone um, and no, I was on the east side. I left and I made it. I drove 18 hours. I made it to Nebraska and I couldn't go anymore. I pulled over a rest stop and slept for a while and made it home. I couldn't wait to get home. And I really, to be honest with you, especially when I'm traveling by myself, getting home is more fun to me than leaving. Like it's just, I, I enjoy my bed. I enjoy the comforts of home, getting in my routine. Abby right now, she's on a, a, a girl's trip, her and a few of the girls went to Arkansas and did some hiking, and so she was excited about leaving. Something tells me in my heart she's probably not as excited about coming home. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I love, uh, love uh, the, the anticipation of arriving back at home on a trip. And so today, uh, we're talking about, uh, we're going to begin this series out of uh, Revelation, and we're calling it Apocalypse. <laughs> right? <laughs> Apocalypse. So today we're looking at verses 1 through 8. Um, it's going to be sort of an introduction into uh, what we're going to be learning about as we continue to travel through the entire book. We're going to go into a lot of uh, stuff. And um, when we think about apocalypse, that kind of conjures up images of destruction or the end and really bad negative Things. That's what we think of when we think of apocalypse. I asked Corey, I was thinking about calling this series The Return of the King, and I asked him the other day, I said, Hey, man, what do you think about like when I say apocalypse? And he said, Zombies. <laughs> and so, anyway, it's funny how we use um, this word apocalyptic because revelation, the word revelation actually comes 
from the Greek word, it's a transliteration of the Greek word apocalypsis, and it means to uncover or disclose, reveal. So Revelation actually is apocalypse. Um, in the Latin, before the, the, the Bible is translated over into English, that's what this book was called, apocalypse, okay? And so in the Old Testament, it was an optimistic vision of how God brings about his plan for human history to a climax. And so all of human history, and this is where we really get mixed up in, in humanity and in society, is we fail to realize that all of human history is, is headed toward this climactic event. It just moves, and with each tick of the clock, we move closer and closer to when that time will happen. You say, when will it be? Nobody knows. Only the Lord knows, and it's been kept from us. But there are visions in the Old Testament that the prophets were given that give us an indication of when we might be moving closer to the time. And so God reveals this, uh, this, this vision through prophets. And in, uh, in prophecy, it tells how Jesus will directly intervene in human affairs to create a perfect age. Okay? That's what's going on in, 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 a, in the apocalypse, in Revelation, is that it's really more about restoration than it is destruction. But somehow we feel like it's all about destruction. And it's because the word has been used and changed in the English language, how we use it, and we don't really understand what's happening. But from a biblical standpoint, it is a very optimistic um, picture of restoration, not destruction. So revelation or apocalypse is the unveiling through symbolic images and visions how God will have his will done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And he taught them the Lord's Prayer. And he says that, the, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in an apocalyptic revelation that we have in this final book, um, we come to how God's showing how he will intervene to ensure that ultimately his will happens on the earth perfectly. So right now, it's not happening perfectly. Right now, it's broken. Even though believers have a desire to follow the Lord, we still get tripped up. Um, we're, we're, we're working in, um, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and we still struggle against uh, our flesh and the temptations that we face. But ultimately, Jesus will come back, and then when he intervenes, he will perfectly restore all things. Now, Apocalyptic literature is what the book of Revelation is. Now, what the heck does that mean? Well, apocalyptic literature is um, something that was very familiar to the first century Christian, not so familiar to us. Um, and that's what kind of weirds us out about the book of Revelation. In all of the New Testament, the book of Revelation is, is the only book of apocalyptic literature that we have. Now, there are some passages that are apocalyptic. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus um, preaches a sermon called the Olivet Discourse, and it has a lot of eschatology in it that is apocalyptic in nature. Um, you go to the Old Testament, we, we just studied the book of Zechariah. It's very apocalyptic in its style. Uh, the book of Daniel has a lot of apocalyptic literature in it. The book of Ezekiel has a lot of apocalyptic 
literature uh, it, within it, and it, it, it uses all of this imagery um, to, uh, and symbology to protect the reader. It's like a code, okay? And so it seems really strange to us, why would we do that? But we have codes even today, if you think about texting. You know, somebody 100 years ago would have no idea what LOL is, but we know. And there's all these different codes in texting that we understand and this language that we've created. Well, in Jewish apocalyptic literature, they wrote in such a way that it would provide protection to the reader. Because generally, these books and this literature was used um, during a time of of great persecution. And so uh, this thing is filled with symbology, but always, okay, so we will see symbols of different pictures as we go through this, but always Jesus is at the center of it. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the whole thing about telling us about this climactic event that we're headed toward, it's all about Jesus being at the center as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's fascinating about the book of Revelation is it's, it's probably one of the most strong discipleship books we have. And I've been preaching, she's for 30 years now, 30 years, three decades. This is my first time to preach through the book of Revelation. Hey, yeah. Oh, woo, look at me. <laughs> so what I mean by that is I've been intimidated by it, man. It, like it's to, to try to get your mind wrapped around it. What's going on here? And, and so I've just, the Lord has never given me freedom to preach it because I needed to know, I was confident what I was teaching and, and, and that I could I could understand it enough that I could clearly teach you. That is yet to be seen. <laughs> I'll let you know in a, down the road if I, if I pull that off. Um, and so uh, it, it, it's a fascinating study, but it was written during a time of intense persecution of Christians. Like I'm, I'm talking about something like we've never seen. Um, Roman, the Roman emperor Domitian had he had succeeded his brother Titus. And Domitian was, he had a problem, uh, a low self-esteem. And so he was very insecure. And what he's kind of like the guy in Gladiator, right? That guy had a problem with his image. He was worried all the time. That's a good picture of Domitian. And what he did is he implemented, um, he, he proclaimed himself a god. And he implemented Caesar worship. And so everybody had to worship Caesar. They had to worship the emperor. And there were images of him put around in different places. And so, and, and you, had to, you had to worship him. And every year, people were, they could, they could, they could um, worship any god that they wanted. Like, you could, you could worship Jesus if you wanted. But once a year, they had this thing called the Pax Romana, where you would have to go in one time a year, and you would have to burn a pinch of incense and proclaim that Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't do it, there would be consequences. This is why Paul writes in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. It was a really important time during the church, man, is, is that a lot of people that didn't have a firm hold of their faith, whether it be Christianity or even other, another pagan religion, when, when this time of year came around, they would be like, it's one time. My God knows what I believe, so I'll go ahead and do it. But the Christians wouldn't do it. 
The Christians, like again, this is this is during the this is within a you know a 50 to 80 years of the time of Christ's life. Like these 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 are the people that saw Jesus. These are the people that were witnesses to his resurrection. And these are the people that started the church. And then when that one time a year came around, they would not proclaim that Caesar is Lord. They would not burn that uh, pinch of incense. And they were martyred for their faith. That's why all of the the disciples, with the exception of of John, they were killed because they would not deny Christ. They would not um, say that Caesar is Lord, and they would not quit teaching in the name of Jesus. And so very intense time. Really, Rome was at war with the church. Sometimes we feel like um, a lot of our freedoms are being stripped away, religious freedom, and we worry about it, and it's being attacked. And, and, and so sometimes we feel like, man, uh, it feels like the government is, is beginning to be at war with the church, and, and that time may very well come, right? It has been that way before. But this time, literally, Rome was at war with the church. Now, what's fascinating is in a number of years, Rome became... Uh, nationally, they recognized Christianity as their religion. And so uh, it's fascinating when, when, when the enemy begins to attack God. And so Christians during this time, this is very important. I know I'm taking some time before I get into the text, but this, you gotta, you got you to gotta understand this because it, it's, you got to see through the lens of, when you read Revelation, you got to see through the lens of an early first century Christian. And that's not what happens, man. What happens is people read the book of Revelation and they go get a whole lot of other books to understand and they bring a system of thought to Revelation. And so I'm not going to get a whole lot into this, okay? So this is not a series where I'm going to be teaching you all of these different systems of eschatology, but I might point out here and there that what different ones believe um, because there's, there's, there's different perspectives. Not everybody believes in Christianity, not everybody believes there's a rapture. And they're not unbiblical for believing that. They're all, they all fall within the pale of Orthodox Christianity. Some people believe there is a rapture. Some people believe that there's a rapture um, three, you know, uh, three and a half years, and it's before the tribulation, and some believe it happens in the middle, and some believe it happens in the end. <laughs> they're not unchristian, okay? So you can, you, can take, you can line up with one of these schools of thought and not be unorthodox, right? But you need to understand the job of, a, of an interpreter is not to get a system and bring it to the Scripture to help you understand it. The job of an interpreter is come to the Scripture and let it teach you what it has to teach you and listen to what it has to say. And what it's going to teach us is a whole lot about Jesus. And it's going to teach us a whole lot about things that have happened and things that are going to happen out in, in the future. And so, again, as we look at this, what I want you to do is imagine yourself as a first century Christian, and as I read through the text today, imagine that um, maybe one of your relatives was killed a week ago for believing in Jesus, and they wouldn't deny Jesus. Maybe your dad, was a, like he loved Jesus, he was convinced that Jesus rose from the dead, and your dad, um, they told him to burn the pinch of incense, and he said, no way, and they dipped his body in wax and used him to light the streets at night. 
These are the things. Maybe you had a, a, a mother that was like, you know, we all have these stories of, oh, my grandma, she was a godly woman. I remember her reading her Bible, and she would tell me stories. Maybe your grandmother would not deny Jesus, and they put a lamb's, a lamb's uh, skin on her and put blood on her in the Roman Colosseum and let lions eat her to the shouts of the crowd. That's what happened to the first century Christians. And so, uh, so imagine you're living in that era and, and, and like, man, things, it's, it's awful. It's awful. You're like, it's, I guarantee it, you're not listening to a bunch of, hey, uh, if you plant a seed, it will grow and, and, and you will reap and you'll become a wealthy person. No, man, these people were just worried about staying alive. They weren't worried about gaining all the wealth in the world. They weren't worried about those kinds of things. They were worried about, will I be able to hold on to my faith when they, if they come for me and want to take my life? I mean, and they were sold out. And so, so John he is an apostle. So this is the apostle John who was chosen by Jesus who wrote this book. And he is exiled to the island of Patmos because um, he would not quit teaching in the name of Jesus. And so he was exiled to this island. They say, why wasn't he killed? Because Jesus said he would live a long life. It's one of the last things that Jesus said. He prophesied even about John that, that John would like, we, like there's an understanding that he was one of the disciples that would go on. And I think probably primarily so that he could be used to write this book. And so the apostles served in different functions. They would be apostles and evangelists, um, apostles and some of them pastors. But in John, we have an apostle and a prophet. Like he is a prophet, no doubt. So he's a prophet, he's an evangelist, and he is uh, an apostle. And he's, he has a vision, much like Isaiah or, or Zechariah and Isaiah have, and he has this vision that comes from God. And so today, eight verses. Oh, jeez, we got, we got all kinds of time. You ready? The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, to understand this, like, we read that and go, well, if that was written 2,000 years ago, why hasn't it happened? It says soon right there in my Bible. That word right there, it doesn't mean soon, like, when is dinner ready? Soon. It means soon. It means imminent. Like, once it is started, it is going to happen. That's the way this word would be translated. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. And so what's fascinating in that first couple of verses there is that we see revelation is a disclosure of Jesus, from Jesus, and about Jesus. Like Jesus comes and he, through the angel, he's beginning to talk about who he is and what he's going to do. And John says, and again, like this is kind of like the introduction, right? So we're not going real deep today. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Were there more than seven churches? Yes, but these were probably the most influential. And the number seven in apocalyptic literature always means completeness. So it's whole. It's like this is to the church. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits. Who's the seven spirits? Again, we take the number seven in apocalyptic literature. It means completeness. That's 
the Holy Spirit. Some translations say the sevenfold spirit. So here, this is from the, the Holy Spirit is how that would translate. Before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is, faith, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. And so these eight verses, we have some takeaways that are very powerful. And so I'm going to give them to you, and I hope they're as encouraging to you as they are to me. And I'm going to see if I jinx myself today. I think we're going to finish a little early, right? But we'll see. Here's takeaway number one. You better go for yours because I'm going to get mine. That's number one. Verse, the first couple of verses here, it says, blessed is the one who reads it aloud and proclaims it. That's what I'm doing to you. Right now, I'm reading the word of Revelation aloud. I'm proclaiming it. I'm preaching it. And I'm expecting a blessing from God. So over the course of the next however long it takes us to work through this book, I'm expecting God to bless me in ways that I've never been blessed before because I've never preached through the book of Revelation. And so blessed is the one who reads aloud and proclaims the book of Revelation. I'm anticipating that God's going to do some things in my life. He's going to enlighten me. He's going to help me to understand my faith better. He's going to disciple me in ways that I've never been discipled before. But it also says, blessed is the one who hears it, that's you guys, and takes it to heart. So there is a hearing and a taking to heart. And so those who seize a hold of what is proclaimed, and they grab a hold of it and sink their teeth into it, the scripture, it starts with John saying, listen, man, this is what the Lord says. He says, blessed are you when, when it's read aloud and it's proclaimed, and blessed are those who hear it and take a hold of it, and they walk out what it, it teaches. And so it's good news if it's taken to heart, and it's bad news if it's ignored. That's why when some people hear apocalypse, they hear destruction. But when you hear apocalypse, you should hear optimism. You should hear restoration. You should hear something's going to happen in the future, of which I don't know when, but Jesus is going to right all the wrongs on the planet. And when he writes all the wrongs on the planet, he is going to recapture what was lost in the beginning of creation. That's why he's called Alpha and Omega. Omega. He started it in perfection. Sin entered the picture because people didn't listen to him. It fell. There were consequences. And the enemy thinks that he owns the world. And Jesus comes and says, I'm going to reclaim it for myself. He has not reclaimed it for himself. He's reclaimed the authority, but he has not taken possession of what is rightfully his. And that's what the climactic event is about that we're headed toward. And so your life, like, and this is how the enemy, like spiritual warfare works. We look in the Bible and we say, man, how come we see these demon possessions and all of these things and the disciples were casting out demons? How come that isn't happening in our, our, our realm? 
our, our, our world today. Here's why I believe it's not happening. is because I believe it was a very dark time and it was easy because the church didn't exist and the Holy Spirit didn't possess all people. It was easy for the enemy to control things and to control people. But as the Holy Spirit entered the picture and in this dark world, Jesus, the light of the world, came and shed light and truth and, and Christians received the Holy Spirit and they were illuminated and churches happened and, and teaching of truth started happening in a different way and people clearly understood who God was, the demonic realm had to adjust. They had to change their tactics. What used to work didn't work anymore. Like sometimes I think about bow hunting and I think, man, how did these Indians and these people, these early settlers kill these deer with these homemade bows? And it, and it makes you feel like, man, they must have been amazing hunters. No, man, there were animals everywhere, right? They were everywhere and you could get up close to them and you just pop one off. And they probably weren't hunting for trophies like we do, right? And so now we have to adapt, we have to shift, we have to change, the game has changed. And so the enemy has had to shift and adapt. And you say, well, how, what is he doing now? He's distracting. He gets us focused on thinking that our lives are about money and possessions and homes and, and you know, whether our kid makes the starting team on, on this little league or in high school or, or whether my kid gets into this school or what kind of money they are able to make or, or who they marry. None of that matters. And who they marry matters. That matters, girls. <laughs> Amen. 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 <laughs> and so, like, we, we, we look and we get distracted by the things of this world, and I think that's how the enemy is leading a lot of people astray and not realizing, no, man, we're headed toward a climactic event. This, our whole existence is about eternity. It's not about this little fraction of time that we call life between our birthday and a death day. That's just a very moment of just a blip on the radar of our existence. We will live forever and ever and ever. Even if we don't believe in Jesus, we will live forever and ever and ever. And those who have not, like they said, man, when when they see him coming, all will see, and some will mourn, and some will rejoice, and those who know the Lord will rejoice. And so the, the, enemy, um, the enemy works in that capacity. So it's good news for us when we hear this, if we take it to heart, and it's bad news if we ignore it. And so before we move to the second takeaway in verse 4, I think this is really encouraging. It says that grace and peace to you from him who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. And so that's the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace to you guys. Grace and peace to you as you come to church and hear a word from the Lord. What does the Lord want to say to you? Grace and peace to you from God the Father. Grace and peace to you from God the Son, and grace and peace to you from God the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's optimistic, especially if there are people that are wanting to kill me because of what I believe, I can hear that and go, wow, man, grace and peace to me. Regardless of what happens to me, I know I'm okay because God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son are a part of my existence, and he has accepted me into his kingdom. And so that's incredibly encouraging. And so, as I said, you better go for yours because I'm going to get mine. The Lord is going to do something in my life through this series, and he will do something in your life if you will take it to heart and seize hold of it. Here's the takeaway number two. He loves us, freed us, and made us priests by shedding his blood. Verses 4 and 5 teach us this. I just read the most part of, first part of 4. 
Um, and five, it says, and then, and then it says, he is the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. Remember when I told you guys the other day we were working through the book of Malachi? And Malachi said, man, he's going to do something new. And, and the people, like the priests, were all corrupt. And Malachi prophesied before Jesus was even born. He prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was born that the Messiah would come and he would make a people priests. John is saying, Jesus did that. He made us priests. So who are the priests of God? You are the priests of God. I'm a priest of God. A priest of God is not someone who just uh, functions in the Catholic Church. We are all priests. It's called the priesthood of the believer. And we are part of a kingdom. And how does he do that? He frees us from our sin. How does he free us? From the blood that was shed on the cross. And this is why the blood is like the old hymn writers used to sing about the blood so much. The blood is so important because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we go back to the Alpha. He's the beginning. What does he teach them? He teaches them through this nation, and he's teaching all of humanity the way that sin has to be dealt with is the sacrifice of an animal and shedding its blood. And it was a picture of a lamb that would take away the sin of the world, of which Jesus becomes that lamb, and he is God in the flesh, and he is, he is slain before the creation of the world. That's what the scripture says. Is before even we were created, the, God knew how he was going to do all of this. And you say, why does he do it that way? Because he wants us to understand what love is. Like you understand that we would have no concept of love without this picture that God has created and how he has created us and given us a free will and wired us in such a way that we can choose whether or not we follow him. And choice is necessary for a person to really understand what love is. If your wife or your, your husband chooses to be in a relationship with you, they could leave at any moment they want, but they are showing you love by choosing you. And, and if you took that choice away from them, then they couldn't love you. And it is that choice of choosing to love us that, that makes love a possibility. So God wires us with the ability to choose, and he's freed us that if we are covered by his blood that was shed on the cross, we are freed from our sins, and we are transformed into a different creature. The old man dies, Paul says, and the new man is raised in Christ because his sins are covered by the blood, and now he is a part of the royal priesthood, the holy nation that serves God. And so like we look at that and we go, man, this has to take place in a human being in order for them to become a priest. It's like, I didn't become a priest because somebody said, hey, man, we think you'd be a good preacher, and um, you... You seem like you could talk and good in front of people. Let's make you a priest. I didn't even know I could talk in front of people until the Lord called me into the ministry. Like the first time I'd ever given a public speech was I gave my testimony, and I was as surprised as everybody else that it just came out, right? And so God made me into a priest by transforming me, by taking away my sin and freeing me from it. 
And so my sin doesn't beat me up with shame anymore. It is removed. As far as the east is from the west, the Lord has cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. And when he looks at me, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint that he saved for the royal priesthood to serve him on earth to bring heaven down here to get ready for the climactic event that's coming in the future. And that's how, we live. That's how we're supposed to be living. We don't look at our lives and go, my life is about how I can make my house nice. There's nothing wrong with making my house nice. There's nothing wrong with, with doing other things as long as we are always looking through the lens and realizing, man, I am a priest of God. I'm a priest of God to my children. I'm a priest of God to my wife. I'm a priest of God uh, to my husband. I'm a priest of God to my parents. That's why the scripture says, children, honor your mother and father and obey them. And the Lord, for this is a commandment that comes with a promise that your days will be long. Why should you do that? Because you're a mother and father? No, because you are a priest of God. Amen, Jonah? Amen. You're a priest of God to your parents. You're a priest of God. We're priests of God to each other. We're priests of God to the lost. And so we function in that way, preparing for this climactic event. And then it says, um, and it goes, here's the deal, like, it's people a lot of times that go, man, I don't know if I can witness. I don't know if I can talk to somebody about Jesus. I don't know if I know enough. I don't, I can, I don't know the Bible like you know the Bible. And then we try to help people to become disciple makers. And they say, well, I don't know if I can make disciples. Um, I'm, I'm intimidated by that. that. That's just reserved for a certain few. No, you've got the whole thing backwards. We are qualified to witness because of what Jesus has done for us, not because of what we do for Jesus. That's the only reason I can stand here and preach today. Is I'm just proclaiming what Jesus did in my life and saying he wants to do it in your life. Like, so, so like it is the qualification of the minister is because of what Jesus has accomplished. And then before leaving this takeaway, it says that he is the firstborn from the dead and ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, there are two significant things about this. One, um, this firstborn of the dead, what does that mean? He is resurrected. No one outside of Jesus Christ has experienced this. That's why he's the firstborn of the dead. There has not been a secondborn of the dead. He's the only one. In the climactic event, the secondborn shall rise simultaneously. What do you mean? I thought when I die, I go to be with Jesus. You do in spirit. See, your soul does, but your body does not. That's why we have a funeral. That's why we put your body in the ground. That's why even this week when I preached a funeral on Thursday, I committed the body back to the ground from which it, was, it came. Believing in the resurrection of the dead. We just sang about it in that song, The Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection. And when, in the resurrection, what happens? When that climactic event comes back and Jesus returns, who is the ruler of all the kings of the earth, then the dead in Christ shall rise. So, like, whoever has died already and is with Christ in paradise as the thief in the cross today, when Jesus returns to the planet, then what happens is their bodies rise from the dead and they receive an imperishable physical body. This is where the church doesn't understand things. They just, they believe like everybody else in the rest of the world. Like when we die, we become these spiritual ghosts and we float around and we haunt people. That's garbage. It's demonic. And it's demonic. You say, what do you mean it's demonic? It's demonic because it confuses people from the truth. When you die and you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. 
Your body is in the ground, and when Jesus returns, your body is restored, just like the earth will be restored to a state of perfection, then your body is restored to a state of perfection, and your soul reunites, and you go on to reign forever and ever with Jesus. That's that's like the fundamental uh, doctrine of Christianity. We are heading toward that climactic event. And so like, he's the firstborn from the dead, and then it says he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, why was this important for a first century Jew? Because it felt like God was nowhere, and, and, and John is reminding them that God is sovereign, and even when it feels like he's not in control, he is. Don't forget, guys, remember Jesus rose from the dead, and they are dealing with family members being executed for believing in Jesus, and they would not stop teaching in the church, or, or teaching in the name of Jesus, and the church, as the more the church was persecuted, the greater it grew. And so like, it's sadly to say right now, it feels like the only thing that'll help the church really grow is persecution. We're soft and we got to understand, man, what this thing is about, that we're headed toward this climactic event and let God get our attention and realize that he is in control of the kings of the earth. We're moving toward this event. And as we move toward this event, our, our sole purpose in life is to function as priests of God who've been freed of our sins and we work to bring glory to God in all that we do wherever he's placed us on a daily basis. We're not going to be short. But we're not going to be long either. Here's the third takeaway. Look, he is coming. John says, look, he is coming. And he's just reminding his readers, he's like, we have the hope of the resurrection, guys. We know Jesus rose from the dead. Don't you remember? I can see John writing and pinning this letter, knowing it's going to be circulated among the church, and they're going to be reading it aloud, and then they're going to copy it, and they're going to pass those letters around. See, that's why we have so many manuscripts of the New Testament. It's John wrote a letter like this. He sent it to the seven churches. One church gets it. They read it. They make a copy of it, send it on to the next church. That guy that made the copy of it keeps making more and more copies. And the more copies, it was like gold to the people. And they would run around and they would read. And somebody might be in prison, about to be locked up. Listen to what God said through John the Apostle. The revelation of John the Apostle. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. And dad, you may die tomorrow. But be of good courage because Jesus is coming back. And they would encourage one another. And then they kept reproducing these documents. And there are more, there's more manuscript evidence of the New Testament than any historical document that exists on the planet. There's no, not even any comparison. Thousands and thousands of fragments. And you can look at the Bible and say, this is not a blind leap of dark. Man, this thing was circulated around the first century church, not only the Old Testament for thousands and thousands of years, but then the New Testament. Man, when it exploded on the scene and the Holy Spirit came, the Word of God just and it keeps just going faster and faster. You can get on your phone right now and you can download the YouVersion app and I think it's billions of people are using it. It's in the hands of people all over the planet, translation after translation. Any language you want, man, you can find there and you can read it and you can have the word of God and the word of God has just been going forth, man, like wildfire since the time of the early church. It's amazing to stop and think about what the Lord is doing. Why is he doing it? Why is the word of God so rapidly spread and, and, and we look at all of this stuff and how the, the church has been attacked for, for 2,000 uh, years and it just keeps, it, like it's not going away. Like, there, there's not, like you don't have to worry about the church. The only thing that's going to stop the church is the return of the groom. 
Because we are the bride of Christ. And just like you wouldn't let anything happen to your wife, Jesus will not let anything happen to the body, uh, uh, his body, the church. And so here we are on the planet. And so just as, oh, geez, man, come on, Lord. Like, just like when the resurrection happens, we reunite with our body, man. We are the body of Christ. And when Jesus returns, he reunites with his body. He comes, and he comes in his resurrected body, and he takes on, and he's with all of us here on the planet. And John is saying, look, he is coming, and his coming is anticipated by his priest, but it is mourned by everyone else. Anyone who hasn't been transformed by the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sins, when he returns, it says, even those who killed him will see him. So it doesn't matter if the person is already dead, they will see the returning Christ. All will be resurrected. Not just the people who believe in Jesus. All are resurrected. And so we get to the end of the big idea. And it's this. He's our beginning and end. And so like what he started in us, he's faithful to finish. Like even when I get worried about, man, if I'm, I'm able like, to do, accomplish something I feel like the Lord has asked me to do, I have to be reminded, man, he's my beginning and my end. All that is necessary for me to succeed in what he has asked me to do, he will provide. He has always promised that. He was already promised that. He is my beginning and he is my end. I don't have to worry about the future. I don't have to worry about the past. You see, I need not regret the past because he is in my past. I need not worry in the present because he is my present. And I need not fret over the future and fear because he is my future. He is my future. He is my past. He is my present. Jesus, who is who was and is to come. And so here's, here's the deal. The end of the trip is better than the beginning. All right. think, think of all of the things that you've done in life. You go, man, that was thrilling. That was thrilling when that happened. That was thrilling when I had my first child. It was thrilling when I had my second child. It was thrilling when I married my wife. It was thrilling when I accomplished this in my career. It was all of these things, man. We look and we go, that was such a fun experience. The end is better than the beginning. Some of you may be nearing the end of life. Some of you's health may be failing. The end is better than the beginning. Some of you may have been diagnosed with a terminal disease this week, and you're like, man, I don't know how long I'm going to be alive. The end is better than the beginning. Like, I do not fear death. As a matter of fact, I look forward to it. Like, I look in anticipation where things will be righted, and I will be with Christ, and so the end is better than the beginning, and I'm headed toward that climactic event. I am a priest of God who's been covered by the shed blood that was shed on Calvary. My sins have been covered. My sin is no more. I have no shame, and I fear not death. Where is its victory? Where is its sting? I'm just living life, and I'm getting all that it will give me as I function as a priest of God and connect with people, raise my children, love the truth, make disciples, because I'm looking forward to his return. So be encouraged, church. The apocalypse is optimistic. It is good news for the believer. And it ought to create some urgency for us as priests 
to realize that if our friends and family die in their sins, the apocalypse is bad news for them. You say, how could God allow a person to spend eternity without him? How could a priest of God keep their mouth shut and act like they can't do and tell and witness something that is so spectacular that has been put in them? God would that all men would come to him. And his desire is for his priest to be priestly. Open your mouth and let Jesus lead you. And, and start praying for your lost friends. Start having a heart of compassion for them. When you say, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Be reminded of your forefathers who were eaten by lions in the Roman Colosseum because they would not deny Jesus. Stop with all this weak nonsense. Be the church. Be the bride of Christ. Don't let the devil keep telling you, to, you can't do this. Oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Believe in the resurrected Christ. Believe in Jesus. Don't be led by the enemy. Look. He is coming. Be a priest. Don't be afraid. For he has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power. This is the word of the Lord. You're priests of God. The apocalypse is coming. It is good news. And we rejoice in his return. And we want to reach as many people as we can so that they will not mourn upon his arrival. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Let us sit in it for just a moment. Let us breathe you in, Lord. Take us on a journey, Jesus. Take us on a journey of a spiritual awakening like we've never seen before. And it spread through us, your body. Let your men receive that power today and become men of God who are priestly. Let your holy women, Lord, receive that power today and be priestesses in the kingdom. Sons and daughters of the king, Lord. Let us breathe you in. As we partake of communion today, Lord, let us be reminded of your body that was broken. Let us be reminded of your blood that was shed. Lord, it will not be by eloquence and preaching and my own power that you do something incredible in this place. It will only be because you choose to. So as a ministry, Lord, we bow before you in humility, pleading with you to cause an awakening 
Let us be a part of an awakening, Lord. We don't deserve it, Lord, but we desire it. And you say that you want to do it. And so let us line up with you and pray in the name of Christ that it might be done. Let us see powerful things that we've never seen before. Let us all be running around as priests of yours proclaiming it is the Lord. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this word. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Christ. And amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.